0: I'm continuing with the Journals of Henry David Thoreau on March 15th, 1852. This afternoon I throw off my outside coat. A mild spring day, I must hie to the great meadows. The air is full of bluebirds, the ground almost entirely bare. Villagers are out in the sun, and every man is happy whose work takes him outdoors. I go by sleepy Hollow toward the great fields. I lean over rail to hear what is in the air, liquid with the bluebird's warble. My life partakes of infinity. Here we look for potential titles to the reading. My life partakes of infinity. The air is as deep as our nature's. Is the drawing in this vital air attended with no more glorious results than I witness? The air is a velvet cushion against which I press my ear to go forth to make new demands on life. I wish to begin this summer well, to do something in it worthy of it and of me, to transcend my daily routine and that of my townsmen, and to have my immortality now. Is that another potential title? To have my immortality now, that it be in the quality of my daily life to pay the greatest price, the greatest tax of any man in Concord and to enjoy the most. <laughs> he wants he's either gonna enjoy the most or he's gonna have mortality now, immortality now or he's gonna partake of infinity. I will give all I am for my nobility. I will pay all my days for my success. I pray that the life of this spring and summer may ever lie fair in my memory. My I dare as I have never done. This is like a spring reading, spring planning here. We could plan for this to be our Of 2020. Hmm. May I persevere as I have never done. May I purify myself anew as with fire and water. Soul and body, may my malady not be waiting, wanting for the season. May I gird myself to be a hunter of the beautiful, but not escape me, may I attain to a youth never attained. Is he trying to get younger in his metabolic age? Uh I am eager to report the glory of the universe, may I be worthy to do it, to have got through with regarding human values so as not to be distracted from regarding divine values. It is reasonable that a man should be something worthier at the end of the year than he was at the beginning. Hmm. Very good. This is our theme for the spring. Yesterday's rain in which I was glad to be drenched As advanced the spring, settled the ways and the old footpath and the brook and the plank bridge behind the hill are suddenly uncovered, which have been buried so long as if we had returned to our earth after an absence and took pleasure in finding things so nearly in the state in which we left them. We go out without our coats, saunter along the street. To look at the immense, immense of the willow beginning to appear and the swelling buds of the maple and the elm do you think we should re- read this as our our theme for the spring and go to Concord on March 15th mm-hmm. so if we go on March 15th and we read this reading And they go saunter along the streets of Concord and smell the buds of the maple and the elm. The great meadows are water instead of ice. I see the ice on the bottom in white sheets, and now one great cake arises amid the bushes behind Peters. I see no ducks. April 1, we have had a great, solid winter, which has put the previous summer far behind us. Intense cold, deep and lasting snows, and clear, tense winter sky. It is a good experience to have gone through with. He's saying it's a good experience to have gone through a long, intense, cold winter. Uh-huh. That's a good experience. Uh-huh. So I guess we should welcome the long, intense, cold winters. Uh-huh. A solid, good, solid winter. Uh-huh. April 3. The blue bird carries the sky on his back. Is that why he's blue? Hmm. That's another interesting point, uh-huh. I am a- April twelfth. I am made somewhat sad this afternoon by the coarseness and vulgarity of my companion, because he is one with whom I have made myself intimate. He inclines laterally to speak with coarse jesting of facts which should always be treated with delicacy and reverence. I lose my respect for the man who can make the mystery of sex. The subject of a coarse jest. Yet when you speak earnestly and seriously on the subject, is silent. I feel that this is to be truly irreligious, whatever may befall me. I trust that I may never lose my respect for the purity in others. The subject of sex is one on which I do not wish to meet a man at all unless... I can meet him on the most inspiring ground. If his view degrades and does not elevate, I would preserve purity and act and thought as I would. Cherish the memory of my mother. Yeah, sometimes when you go walking with a man, he wants to talk about sex with the ladies, and he doesn't want to talk about it. April sixteenth. As I turned round the corner of Hubbard's Grove, I saw a woodchuck. Do you think it? You could see woodchucks if you go to Ohio. You'll see them around. I saw a woodchuck, the first of the season, in the middle of the field, six or seven rods from the fence which bounds the wood. In twenty rods distance, I ran along the fence and cut him off. I rather overtook him, though he started at the same time. When I was only a rod and a half off, he stopped. I did the same. Then he ran again, and I ran up within three feet of him. When he stopped again, the fence being between us, I squatted down and surveyed him at my leisure. His eyes were dull black and rather inobvious with a faint chestnut iris with but little expression and the, and that more of resignation than of anger the general aspect was a coarse grayish brown a sort of gristle, a lighter brown next the skin than black and very dark brown and tipped with whitish rather loosely the head between a squirrel and a bear flat on the top, and dark brown and darker still, or black on the tip of the nose, the whiskers black two inches long, the ears very small and roundish, set far back and nearly buried in the fur, black feet with long slender claws for digging, it appears to tremble, or perchance shivered with cold, when I moved, it gritted its teeth quite loud, sometimes striking the upper jaw against the other, chatteringly, sometimes grinding one jaw on the other, yet as if more from instinct than anger. Whatever way I turned, that way it headed. I took a twig a foot long and touched its snout, at which it started forward and bit the stick. Well, Lessening the distance between us to two feet and still it held on the ground it gained, I played with it tenderly a while with the stick trying to open its gritting jaws. Ever its long incisors, two about and two below, were presented, but I thought it would go to sleep if I stayed long enough. It did not sit upright as, as sometimes, but standing on its four feet, with its head down, half sitting, half standing. We sat looking at each other for about a half an hour. That's amazing. Hmm. So we began to feel mesmeric influences. When I was tired, I moved away, wishing to see him run, but I could not start him. He would not stir as long as I was looking at him, or could see him. I walked round him. I turned as fast and fronted me still. I sat down by his side within a foot. That's crazy. Believable. I talked to him quasi-forest-linguo, baby talk, at any rate, in a conciliatory tone, and thought that I had some influence on him. He gritted his teeth, less. I chewed checkerberry leaves and presented them to his nose at last without a grit, though I saw that by so much gritting of the teeth he had worn them rapidly, and they were covered with a fine white powder which, if measured, it thus would have made his anger terrible. He did not mind any noise I might make. With a little stick, I lifted one of his paws to examine it and held it up at pleasure. I turned him over to see what color he was beneath, darker or more purely brown, though he turned himself back again sooner than I could have wished. His tail was also all brown, though not very dark rat-tail-like. With loose hair standing out on all sides like a caterpillar brush, I had a rather mild. Look. He had a rather mild look. I spoke kindly to him. I reached chicka leaves to his mouth. I stretched my hands over him, though he turned up his head and still gritted a little. I laid my hand on him, but immediately took it off again. I can't believe he put his hand on this woodchuck. My gosh. Instinct not wholly overcome. If I had had a few fresh bean leaves, thus in advance of the season, I am sure I should have tamed him completely. I've never seen this. He's taming a woodchuck. I was, it was a frizzly tail. His is a humble terrestrial. Color, like a partridge, well concealed where dead wiry grass rises above darker brown and chestnut dead leaves of modest color. If I had had some food, I should have ended with stroking him at my leisure. Could easily have wrapped him in my handkerchief. He was not fat nor particularly lean. He may not have been that fat because it's still only April. Right, because he had had a summer of eating, <laughs> he was not fat nor particularly lean. I finally had to leave him without seeing him move from the place. A large, clumsy burrowing squirrel, an arctomys bear mouse, a r c t o m y s bear mouse. I respect. Him as one of the natives I don't know if that is his Latin name An A-R-C-T-O-M-Y-S He lies there by his color and habits so naturalized Amid the dry leaves, the withered grass, and the bushes A sad nap, too, he has enjoyed in his native fields the past winter I think I might learn some wisdom of him his ancestors have lived here longer than mine. He is more thoroughly acclimated and naturalized than I. Bean leaves the red man raised for him, but he can do without them. Uh-huh. He really likes beans, so he likes. He's a uh, woodchucks. Uh, love to eat soybeans. Uh-huh. So they're the enemy of the soybean farmer. But now he, this is an unbelievable story. He goes up and tames a woodchuck. That's not very likely. And then to sit there a half hour is astonishing. And then he didn't move and run away. They're usually afraid. Uh, what do you think of that? I'm shocked to hear that. He's a, I guess, uh, a they woodchuck. A whole wind that they were alone, so now they probably need some contact. He's a woodchuck even, whisperer, I guess. So like a the animals need some contact. And the too. Well, he acted friendly, and the woodchuck, I guess, realized he was mm-hmm. not hostile at some point. Oh. Mm-hmm. When he started feeding him, I don't know. April 24th. I know two species of men, the vast majority are men of society, they live on the surface, they are interested in the transient fleeting, they are like driftwood on the flood, they ask forever and only the news, uh, the froth and scum of the eternal sea. Do you think that the news like, is just the froth and scum of the eternal sea? they use policy they make up for what want to matter with manner they have many letters to write wealth and the approbation of man is them success for them wealth is success you just count how much money you could the enterprises of society are something final and sufficing for them the world advises them and they listen to its advice. They live holy and evanescent live creatures of circumstance. It is of prime importance to them who is the president of the day. So it's very important to them who is president. Do you think it's very important to us who is president? Uh-huh. Do you care that much? <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I'm going to watch each and every primary candidate down to the nitty-gritty and read all his biography and everything he's ever said because the prime importance to them is the president of the day or we're just not going to watch it. They have no knowledge of truth, but by an exceedingly dim and transient instinct which stereotypes the church and some other institutions. They dwell, they are ever right in my face, and eyes like gnats, they are like moths, so near the eyes that, looking beyond, they appear like blurs, they have their being between my eyes and the end of my nose. The terra firma of my existence lies far beyond, uh, behind them and their improvements, uh. If they write, the best of them deal in elegant literature. Society man has no prize to offer me that can tempt me, not one. That which interests a town or city or any large number of men is always something trivial as politics. It is impossible for me to be interested in what interests men generally. Their pursuits and interests seem to me frivolous. When I am most myself and see the clearest, men are least to be seen, and that they are seen at all is the proof of imperfect vision. Do you think if you think about other men, that it's proof of imperfect vision? If you were thinking about the woodchuck, it would be a lot better. He had more respect for the woodchuck than the men. (laughs) These affairs of men are so narrow as to affront my no vista, no distance. It is a shallow foreground only, no large extended views to be taken. Men put to me frivolous questions. When did I come? Where am I going? That was a more pertinent question when I, what I lectured for, which one auditor put once to another. What an ordeal it were to make man pass through to consider how many ever put to me a vital question. Their knowledge of something better gets no further than what is called religion and spiritual knockings. do you think they just do spiritual knockings? Hmm. Hmm. Very Thoreauvian, this reading here. This is very much like Thoreau. Hmm. We're doing a thorough read of Thoreau, hmm. Thoreau. May 8th No tarts that I ever tasted at my table, possessed such a refreshing, cheering, and encouraging acid that literally put the heart in you and set you on edge for this world's experiences, bracing the spirit as the cranberries. Uh-huh. Now he's saying that there's nothing better than cranberries. Oh, uh-huh. well, like I think he likes, uh, he likes a good breakfast, uh, no tarts that I ever tasted at any table possessed such a refreshing, hearing and caring that literally put the heart in me and set you on edge for this world's experiences, bracing the spirit as cranberries. Uh-huh. There, there you go. I could sell that to Madison Avenue and advertising cranberries if I could think about how to make money. Wealth. Uh, if I could just accumulate wealth. Uh, through so reading Thoreau, I have plucked in the meadows in the spring, they cut the winter's phlegm, and now I can swallow another year of this world without any sauce. Uh-huh. Even on the Thanksgiving table, they are comparatively insipid, have lost as much flavor as beauty, are never so beautiful as in water. Why is he like them? Oh, you think they grow in the water? And they're not as beautiful, except for when they're in the water. I don't know. May 18th. The landscape is most beautiful, looking toward the sun. In the orchard on Fairhaven. He likes Fairhaven. At four. At four o'clock here. First there is this green slope on which I sit, looking down between the rows of apple trees, just being clothed clothed with tender green, sometimes underneath them to the sparkling water, or over through them and seeing them against the sky. Secondly, the outline of this bank or hill is drawn against the wader, water far below and the river still high, a beautifully bright sheen on the water there, though it is. Elsewhere, a dull, slanty blue color of sober, rippled surface, a fine, sparkling shimmer in front, owing to the remarkable clearness of the atmosphere, clarified by the May storm. Thirdly, on either side of the wood beyond the river are patches of bright, tender, yellow, and velvety green grass in meadows and on hillsides. It is, this is May 18th, it is like a Short, furred mantle now, and bright as it had the sun on it. Those great fields of green affect me, as did those early green blades by the corner spring, like a fire flaming up from the earth. The earth provides itself well alive even in the skin. No scurf on it, only a browner color on the barren hill tops of hills. Fourthly, the forest, the dark green pines, wonderfully distinct, near and erect, with their distinct dark stems, spiring tops, regularly disposed dispose branches, and silvery light on their needles. They seem to wear an aspect so much fresher and livelier as the other trees, though their growth can hardly be perceptible yet. As if they had been washed by the rains in the air. They are now being invested with the light, sunny, yellowish green of the deciduous trees. This tender foliage, putting so much light and life into the landscape, is the remarkable feature at this date. The week when the deciduous trees are generally and conspicuously expanding their leaves. Uh-huh. The various tints of gray oaks and yellowish-green birches and aspens and hickories and the red and scarlet tops where maple-grown keys are formed, the blossoms are now over. These last the high-color rosaceous in the back bouquet. And fifthly, I detect a great stretch of high-backed, mostly bare, grassy pasture country between this and the nasia spotted with pines and forest which i had formerly taken for forest uninterrupted and finally sixthly the wachusett rising in the background slightly veiled in bluish mist toward which all these seem to slope gradually upward and those grassy hillsides in the foreground seem but as patches of the bare grassy ground on a spur of that distant mountain Hmm. This is like we went to Concord in the spring. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We were there and all these things turned green. (laughs) You could just go to Concord in the spring. May 19th. Up to about the 14th of May, I watched the progress of the season very closely, though not so carefully the earliest birds, but since that date, both from poor health and multiplicity of objects, I have noted little, but what fell under my observation. June's ninth. for a week past, we have had washing days. The grass waving and the trees having leaved out their boughs wave and feel the effect of the breeze. Thus new life and motion is imparted to the trees. The season of waving boughs and the lighter undersides of the new leaves are exposed. This is the first half of June. Already the grass is not so fresh and liquid velvety, a green having much of it, blossomed and some even gone to seed, and it is mixed with the reddish ferns and other plants. But the general leafiness, shadiness, and waving of grass and boughs in the breeze characterize the season. The wind is not quite agreeable because it prevents your hearing the birds sing. Meanwhile, the crickets are strengthening their choir... Query, the weather is very clear and the sky bright. The river shines like silver. Methinks this is a traveller's month. The locusts in bloom. The waving, undulating rye. The deciduous trees have filled up the intervals between the evergreens and the woods. are bosky now. P-O-S-K-Y now. A child loves to strike on a tin pan or other ringing vessel with a stick, because its ears, being fresh, sound, attentive, and percipient, it detects the finest music, and the sound at which all nature assists. Is not the very cope of the heavens the sounding board of the infant drummer? Do you think that is a child drumming? Is is it not the very cope of the heavens, the sounding board of the infant drummer? So clear and unprejudiced ears hear the sweetest and most soul-stirring melody and tinkling cowbells and the like dogs baying the moon, not to be referred to association, but intrinsic in the sound itself, those cheap and simple sounds which men despise because their ears are dull and bit debauched. Ah, that I were so much a child that I could unfailingly draw music from a quart pot. Its little ears tinkle with the melody. To it there is music and sound alone. Do you think there's music in just the clanking of a pot? So I could clank some pots in the kitchen, <laughs> and it'll be musical. Oh. A child loves to strike on a tin pan. <laughs> That's what we read. June 11th. As I climbed the cliffs, when I jarred the foliage, foliage, I perceived an exquisite perfume which I could not trace to its source. Ah, those fugacias, universal fragrances of the meadows and woods, odors rightly mingled. June 12th. The Kratchakroaches Crita Croaches are going to seed C-R-I-T-C-H-I-C-R-O-T-C-H-E-S june fifteenth I hear the scream of a great hawk sailing with a ragged wing against the high woodside apparently to scare his prey and so detect it shrill, harsh, fitted to excitement, terror, and sparrows, and to issue from his split and curved bill. I see his open bill, the while against the sky, spit with force from his mouth, with an undulating quiver, imparted to it from his wings or motion as he flies. A hawk's ragged wing will grow whole again, but so will not a poet's, will not a poet's, So, if his wing is ragged, uh, it will grow whole again, but so will a poet's. Hmm. Do you know that a hawk will make noise to scare its prey? That's what he said here. I thought, usually they're quiet. But here he's saying, he's screeching to scare up some prey. (laughs) June 19th, it requires considerable skill in crossing the country to avoid the houses and to cultivated parts, somewhat of the engineer's or gunner's skill, so to pass a house. If you must go near it, through high grass, past the enemy's lines where houses are thick and As to make a hill or wood screen you to shut every window with an apple tree. For that route, which most avoids the houses, is not only the one in which you will be least molested, but it is by far the most agreeable. He's still avoiding people. Hmm. June 20, lying with my window open, these warm, even sultry nights, I hear the sonorously musical trump of the bullfrogs from time to time from some distant shore of the river as if the world were given up to them by those villagers who live on the street. They are never seen and rarely heard by day, but in the quiet, sultry nights... Their notes ring from one end of the town to another. It is as if you had waked up in the infernal regions. Uh Talking about the Uh bullfrogs. I do not know for a time in what world I am. It affects my morals and all questions take a new aspect from the sound. At night bullfrogs lie on the pads and answer to one another all over North America. Undoubtedly, there is an incessant and uninterrupted chain of sound. Trump, Trump, Trump. From the Atlantic to Pacific Vide if they reach so far west, further than burton's morning gun it is the snoring music of nature at night when you wake thus at midnight and hear the sonorous trump from far in the horizon you need not go to dante for an idea of the infernal regions it requires the night air of this sound remember this is trump 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 Trump, 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 Trump. Why don't we just say Trump, Trump? What if we just repeat as a mantra? Trump, Trump, Trump. Well, <laughs> we could we could use that as a title, Trump. Oh. June 25th. One man lies in his words and gets a bad reputation. Another in his manners enjoys a good one. Hmm. eight thirty PM to Conatum Ha moon half full, fields dusty, the evening star, and one of the bright one near the moon. It is a cool but pretty still night. Methinks I am less thoughtful than I was last year at this time. The flute I now hear from the depot field does not find such caverns to echo and resound in my mind No such answering depths. Our minds should echo at least as many times as the mammoth cave to every musical sound. He's saying our minds should echo sounds. Hmm. It should awaken reflections in us. I hear not many crickets, some children calling their kitten home by some endearing name. Now his day's work is done. The laborer plays his flute, only possible at this hour. Contrasted with his work, what an accompaniment. Some drink and gamble. He plays some well-known march, but the music is not in the tune. It is in the sound. It does not proceed from the trading, nor political world. It practices this ancient art. There are light vaporous clouds overhead, dark fufusious ones. In the north the trees are turned black. As candles are lit on earth, stars are lit in the heavens. Uh I hear the bullfrog's trump from afar. Hmm. Bullfrog's trump. Uh That's a good title. Hmm. Hmm. Now I turn down the corner road At this quiet hour The evening wind is heard to moan In the hollows of your face Mysterious, spirit-like Conversing with you It can be heard now only. The whippoorwill sings, I hear a laborer going home coarsely singing to himself. Though he has scarcely had a thought all day, killing weeds, at this hour he sings and talks to himself. His humble and earthly contentment gets expression it is a kindred in its origins with the notes or music of many creatures. A more fit and natural expression of his mood, this this humming, this conversation is wont to be. The fireflies appear to be flying, though they may be stationary on the grass stems, for the perch and the nearness of the ground are obscured by the darkness, and now you see one here and then another there, as if it were one in motion. Their light is singularly bright and glowing to proceed from the living creature. Nature loves variety in all things, and so she adds glowworms to fireflies, though I have not noticed any this year. The great story of the night is the moon's adventures with the clouds. What innumerable encounters she has had with them when I enter on the moonlit castaway, where the light is reflected from the glistening alder leaves and the bright dark Liquid shade beneath strictly bounds the firm, damp roads and narrows it. It seems like autumn. The rows of willows completely fence the way and appear to converge in perspective. As I had not noticed by day, the bullfrogs are of various tones. Some horse in a distant pasture whinnies. Dark dogs bark. There is that dull dumping sound of frogs, as if a bubble containing the lifeless, sultry air of day burst on the surface, a belching sound, when two or more bullfrogs trump together. (laughs) They're trumping again. When two or more bullfrogs trump together, it is a ten-pound ten-note. In Connaught's meadow, I hear the gurgling of unwearied water and the trill of a toad go through the cool, primordial liquid air that has settled there. As I sit on the great doorstep, the loose clapboards on the old house rattle in the wind weirdly. I seem to hear some wild mouse running about on the floor and sometimes a loud crack from some weary timber trying to change its position. On Conantum's top, all white objects like stones are observed. And dark masses of foliage at a distance. Even how distant is day and its associations? The light, dry cladonia lichens on the brows of hills reflect the moonlight well, looking like rocks. The night wind comes cold and whispering, murmuring weirdly from distant mountain tops. No need to climb the Andes or Himalayas for brows of lowest hills are highest mountain tops in cool moonlit nights. Is it a cuckoo's cuckling note I hear? Occasionally there is something enormous and monstrous in the size and distance of objects. A rock is it or an elephant asleep? Are these trees on an uphill? Upland or a lowland or do they scoot at the brink of a sea beach? When I get there shall I look off over the sea? The white weed is the only obvious flower. I see the tops of the rye wave and the grain fields are all are more interesting than by day. Do you ever see a grain field in the night? Like the wheat. The water is dull coloured, hardly more bright than a rye field. There is a dew only in the low grounds. What were the fireflies' light if it were not for darkness? The one implies the other. Hmm. Well, we read about pretty much. We're ending with. I'm going to stop and. We, we read about the spring. We right up to June twenty-fifth. Uh, well, I think you say about a fire, what were the fireflies light if it were not for darkness? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The one implies the other. You can't have a firefly's light without darkness. Uh-huh. So we read about the bullfrogs trumping together. It was mainly about the bullfrogs. Trump, Trump, uh, Trump, Trump. And we, so we read about politics with the bullfrogs. And then we uh, read about the child who was drumming, making music with his tin pot. <laughs> and his, how he liked cranberries for breakfast. And we found the true name of wood jokes, uh, which are, Arcto, Miss Arctomus, a bear mouse. Uh-huh. If you combine a bear with a mouse, you end up with a woodchuck. Uh-huh. And then we read about, when we started out about his introduction to spring on March fifteenth. We read from the selected journals of Henry David Thoreau in the year eighteen fifty-two. Any comment? Mm-hmm. No. I like that introduction section was worth a, a reread or huh? a re-listen. You could start it over and re-listen to it. Uh-huh. I did today. What? My life partakes of infinity to have my immortality now and enjoy the most. So I hope you enjoyed this reading the most.